Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. Nikki and Sean describe the moments leading up to when they discovered their son's diagnosis of osteogenesis imperfecta, which is a brittle bone condition. We went in for just a routine 20-week ultrasound and 45 minutes went by and at the very end she said, baby's legs are short, I can't find baby's legs. She said, well, I'm gonna refer you to the bigger hospital. So we went down there and he was like, yes, we think it's a form of dwarfism based on his femur length. The femurs are shortened and curved and so that's a marker for other conditions. And then we had to keep going back for follow-up ultrasound. We got further along, it was the 28th week when it kept getting kind of progressively clear that it was more than just dwarfism. He referred to it as brittle bone. He didn't think it was that up until finally 28 week ultrasound. He said, I think based on what I'm seeing here, I think it is osteogenesis imperfecta. So we ended up getting a amniocentesis done, which we really thought about it, whether that was something that we wanted to do or not. And I thought, well, if nothing else, it'll prove the doctors wrong that it's not this condition. and. We could at least know a little bit more. At 32 weeks, we got the results back that it was. Sean had feelings of uncertainty after receiving the news, but ultimately, he came to realize that caring for a child in this way could be a beautiful blessing. During the ultrasound, he showed us that Nico's head was soft. You get a knot in your stomach. You don't want anything to be wrong with your kids. Um, it didn't get any worse than that. Started to get better. We just started to understand what this was and we talked about it, I think, as pragmatically as we could. The worst case, best case scenarios, and we started to just mentally move into the thought process. The couple did a lot of research and addressed many misconceptions when they embarked on learning about their son's condition, and they faced a tough decision whether or not to continue the pregnancy. At 20 weeks, we went straight to genetic counseling and they said, well, you have 24 weeks to terminate if that's what you want to do. In the state of Pennsylvania, it's 24 weeks. Whenever we found out the diagnosis, officially a little bit more at 28 weeks, we wanted to explore our options. Is this something that we really should continue with? Like, this is really scary. Do we want to bring a child into this world who will suffer physically and break bones all the time? Like the way that we thought it was in our minds, bones that break for no reason, responsibly, can we really bring a child into the world that is gonna suffer like that? We kinda had to wrap our minds around it, but I think the unknowing part was really hard for me because they couldn't tell us if it was lethal, they couldn't tell us if the baby would survive birth. They gave us no information about what we could expect. That five months of my pregnancy was really a lot about faith and a lot about you know staying present and moving through it because it was so unknown. The way that Sean and I decided to go about it was we actually didn't share this information with our family. We told a couple people because we didn't know and we just really wanted to allow whatever was meant to be to be and we didn't want other people's negativity to affect us because we didn't know. Nobody knew if he was going to survive at all. Nikki describes the fractures that her son suffered in utero and during the birth process. She credits research and learning with minimizing these issues as much as possible. The radiologist counted 26 plus fractures that were both in utero and from birth. 
my wife, she did as much research immediately and really took ownership over how this was gonna work throughout the pregnancy. And she did the research and said, you know, based on what I've learned, that a C-section isn't necessarily safer for him. They gotta go in and grab the torso. His torso is his ribs and his heart. That was the big concern. And she yeah. said, I wanna do this natural. And yeah. so we put his legs and his arms at risk more than his torso. There was no science behind well, it. She did it without medicine, without drugs. You know, she did it naturally. They must have piled 35 people into the room to watch because it was no, knowing you had OI, to be there, yeah. knowing that there was no drugs, natural birth with a baby with OI. I don't know if it's ever been done before. Give my wife so much credit. I was really confused as to why they did not refer us out to specialists. I had to go do my own research whenever I was pregnant to find OI specialists. They did not refer me to anybody and I thought that was strange for our medical providers. So I had a conversation with a genetic doctor in Delaware because they specialize in OI there. And he said, I have a research paper that I was a part of that vaginal versus cesarean situation, the fracture risk is the same. It's not substantial. So there's no reason to do a cesarean for fracture risk alone. He did have multiple fractures in various stages of healing, but they didn't splint them or anything. His APGAR scores were really good. He didn't need any oxygen, and he just did really well. He was only in the NICU for five days. The couple describes the biggest challenges they have faced up to this point. The pregnancy was really hard for me. It was really hard for me because I had had a home birth, and I had this idea of what I thought my fourth pregnancy and child was going to be like and so there's this beautiful poem about welcome to Holland in the special needs community and that's why I'm so passionate about this whole thing is because you think you signed up for one thing and then you find yourself in this whole other different place but nobody told you that this place is way more meaningful and profound and beautiful than you had ever initially planned. It deepened my faith but the hardest part for me was holding this pregnancy and realizing that my worst fears may be happening, like the worst thing that I could ever imagine going through might actually be happening to me and to our family. And how am I going to tell my children that they may lose their little baby brother? You know, that's where I strengthened my faith because I kept hearing God say, like, just give him a shot. His life and his soul and his path and his purpose is far greater than any fear that you have. And this isn't about you. Although I felt like, okay, we could lose this child, I also simultaneously felt this strong sense of like, it's gonna be okay, you're gonna have this baby, he's gonna be great, he's gonna do great things, and you're just gonna get out of the way. Those experiences were really hard for me. Now he's doing so good, and like life is just coming together. Everything's really good. The siblings are fantastic with their brother. His special spirit, has given them empathy and made their love grow. They've all matured a lot because of it, to, I think to a real extent. All differently, you know, having an 11-year-old, 8-year-old, and 4-year-old, but they're all very careful. There hasn't been one accident with the children not being careful enough around him. I never had a doubt. As soon as I knew there was an option that this could be okay, I've just kind of focused on that being the... Yeah, that being the only possibility. That's easier for me mentally, with anything in life. I had to keep telling her the whole time, the hard part, like, honey, we are going to have a beautiful baby boy with a little Italian-looking baby, and we got it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I get to say I was right on that. Nikki shares what she hopes other parents should know if they are walking a similar path. I wish I had known then more of the better case scenarios, more of just information, more of support, more of this community and this sense of what possibility is specific to my 
son's condition. We would like to know all the answers about everything at all times about everything. That would be nice, but that would ruin the fun. That's why we're here. I would say that I have a relationship with God, I believe in God, and that really it's in God's hands and God's already there. God already knows the outcome and it's not your job to understand or to know. It's your job to just be present as you can and move through this experience because you're not supposed to know what's going on necessarily. You're not supposed to know everything and everything that you're feeling right now is totally okay. It's the way that it's supposed to be and you are going to move through this. This child is on a path all of his or her own that has nothing to do with you. You've been given this child to care for. You go through that period of grief. You can be sad, obviously, and process your emotions. That's super important. But then at one point you have to decide, every moment moving forward here is a moment I'm never gonna get back. Whatever the outcome is about this, I'm never gonna get this moment back with myself, with my future, with my children that are here, my husband, my purpose here on Earth. Feel the emotion as it comes and don't get caught up in it and recognize that it's important to find those moments of joy and make the moments now. I got this mindset early on and I would want to give that to somebody else. It's gonna be what it is. It's gonna be exactly what it's supposed to be. That's advice for everything in life. Caring for a child with brittle bones is a day-to-day -day journey. When he was born, he was extremely fragile. Now, they used to be called pillow babies, where you'd put them on the pillow and you would never move them. And they learned that you need to move them and you need to give them exercise. We put them in the water a lot to help him move. His bones have gotten stronger. He hasn't had any additional breaks. He had one when he was five months old in his arm, just from changing him. I'm careful when I pick him up. I don't pull on his legs. I don't pull on his limbs. Because the mutation is in his collagen gene, every time his bones go, they do like this remodeling process. Like that's what bones do and that's why kids grow so quickly whenever they're little, they're constantly remodeling. Like my son broke his collarbone. Our only break in 2018 was my son's collarbone. When he gets treatment, it treats the bone that already grew and it pulls calcium from the blood and adds it to the bone. So it actually does strengthen that new bone and that's why he has to get treatments every two months. So his bones will always be fragile. They'll never be non-OI bones, but they're getting stronger and they'll be stronger than they've ever been. We didn't know if he was ever gonna crawl. Even after he was born, we asked about getting his legs rotted because we were thinking we want to give him the opportunity to be mobile. And yeah. even the surgeon said, well, if he shows signs of mobility, sure enough, he pulls his whole body along. He is just doing so much better. He's gonna do a lot of things, live a very fulfilled, happy life. Finally, the couple wishes others could understand that this journey is bigger than just them. I feel like it does take a lot of faith and if you can find people that are supportive of you and your conviction, your story is going to pan out however it's meant to be. And there are certain things that kind of define you in life and I think that it's all a good journey and be as positive as you can be and have a lot of faith. Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. Follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.